when you first get a look at David Childers, when you first hear him in conversation, you could be forgiven for thinking that he might be someone who likes to sit and talk with the old-timers on the bench in front of a small-town feed-and-seed with his burly speech and stature, his drawl and his demeanor. His movements are straightforward, more deliberate than many, clearly without anxiety. There's no pretense about him. When he looks at you, it's clear that he is not plotting any advantage. This is all true, but it's just a starting point, as if you had witnessed a work of art and thought, heck, I could have done that, without realizing the creative intellect, work, discipline, and inspiration necessary to create what is now recognized as a masterpiece. When you first listen to David's music, you could be forgiven for thinking that it is noteworthy for that same booming, burly howl that was hinted at in his speech, that the only things that stick out are refrains from song titles like Johnny Got a Mohawk, Burning in Hell, and Run Skeleton Run. You're right, but you're only getting that first look. The phrase, you can't judge a book by its cover, comes to mind, except in this case you might not even realize that there's a book involved. And it's a great read. We're cracking open that volume today, in this episode on David Childers, on Southern Songs and Stories. Johnny got a mohawk And his mama crying Showed it to his daddy And his daddy walked outside Walked around the house a couple of times To a local bar Is he to give me double whiskey and turn up the TV? He spent four hours watching sitcoms, wondering how things come to be. Your dreams go rotten like fruit in the winter, and before you know what you did, Johnny sat in his room, turning on to the robot song. Looking in the mirror Feeling good not to belong To the corrupted world that his parents made With his rules and pointless game That's an early favorite of many David Childers fans, Johnny Got a Mohawk. David's music evokes days gone by, a mythological America where morality was more present, more tangible. There were disasters, there were simple pleasures. Characters in his songs are often disconnected in the current era, unable to see how their end will come, searching for meaning from halfway around the world on a shortwave radio. Staring out the window, smoking old gold to war 
like Dr. Zhivago. The night spoke to him with a voice so cold, frozen to the ground, frozen to the road. I'm in the attic, 14 years old, listening to Radio Moscow. Welcome to Southern Songs and Stories podcast on David Childers. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and in this episode, we spotlight a Western North Carolina singer-songwriter who has been a lawyer, a poet, a man who has always made music, and is now also a visual artist. We'll get to conversations from legendary producer Don Dixon, who worked with David again on his latest record, Run Skeleton Run, and talk with his son, longtime band member and collaborator Robert Childers, as well as the head of Ramser Records and Avett Brothers manager Dolph Ramser, plus Avett Brothers member Bob Crawford, and writer, musician, and WNCW radio host Carol Rifkin. We'll also highlight David's music and the music that inspired him and delve into many insights into Southern culture along the way. This episode is sponsored by Dynamite Roasting, organic and fair trade coffee from Black Mountain, North Carolina, and available worldwide at dynamiteroasting.com. By Ramser Records at ramserrecords.net, spelled R-A-M-S-E-U-R. And we're sponsored by you when you support Southern Songs and Stories on our Patreon page or directly on our website at southernsongsandstories.com. We're glad you're listening and hope you may support the music of David Childers and other artists you enjoy hearing here and can spread awareness of their work as well as ours at Southern Songs and Stories. David started making music in his teens and recorded many records in the 90s, but the last two decades or so of his music may be the most significant, to my thinking. This period coincides with his partnership with Dolph Ramser, who described his first time seeing David at the legendary venue, The Double Door, which is sadly no longer. I met uh, David in July of 2000, and I know you brought up, uh, you know, David's not afraid to... um, to write about and sing about religion um, and his spiritual side. And um, I saw him at the Double Door in Charlotte. And uh, I just remember a lot of songs were about salvation, damnation, the devil, Jesus. Um, And not long after that, I mean, maybe a week after that, I wrote David a letter about doing an album sort of based you know, upon a, um, I don't know, a spiritual theme, and that album became blessed in an unusual way. That's sort of where it all started with David and I. Yeah, I mean, it's, there was a, um, the haint of the, yeah, but it rose. Yeah, not before, uh, what kind of brought me to David is I, I work with a British musician named Martin Stevenson. And that was kind of a field recording project with uh, with Martin, and that's how I first um, met um, David. And uh, David contributed a couple tracks to that record. Um, but when I first met David, it was at the Double Door, um, and yeah, I, I can still see him in my mind um, singing those songs. I don't know, you know, when you touch upon religion people a lot of times are afraid of it they don't want to sing about it um and growing up in the south here 
I've always been fascinated by it from uh, Jim Baker and PTL to Sweet Daddy Grace and, um, you know, to, I, I don't know, I just have always felt you had that growing up around here. You had professional wrestling. You had NASCAR. You had Mill Towns. Um, it was just, and then you had Arthur Smith and Tommy Fell on top of all of this, and it was just such a great place to grow up. In my eyes, I mean, um, to me, that's this is what the South was. I mean, I didn't know it any other way. So, but uh, yeah, this kind of that was my introduction to David, him uh, singing those songs about. Uh, Salvation and damnation. Um, it really um, had an effect on me. You know what's ironic? I was not a, I'm not saying I'm a deeply religious person now. I guess I'm spiritual. I pray. I read the Bible. I haven't been reading it that much lately. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm spiritual, I guess. And uh, I, I don't go to a church. And I don't know why I started writing those songs like that. <laughs> But it just seemed a natural thing to me, you know, like uh, uh, my perspective is from a Christian perspective, but I, uh, I really uh, leave myself open, you know, to all kind of religions. Yeah, and one thing that always struck me with like David and writing about those things is if you read the Bible, it's not all rainbows and fairy tales. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, blood and and guts in the bible that i don't know why but in, it seems like modern uh a lot of modern churches that gets glossed over and it's all follow the light and the light will guide you um but there's david uh, i just i mean it just uh, his songs that touch on those themes i don't know it just feels like it feels real and it feels like home to me that's the best way i can say well, it David may not be in church on Sunday, but he's preaching every time he takes the stage, it seems, and biblical themes are front and center of much of his music. His 2002 record, Blessed in an Unusual Way, is filled with spiritual themes and songs about the Bible. And in 2014, he made a record of Christian themes all the way through, called Serpents of Reformation. Curiously enough, it grew out of David's desire to make a record influenced by hip-hop. So David winds up with a lot of biblical themes in his music, and to me that seems so quintessentially Southern in, in, in many ways, I guess the way that he expresses it. Do you have any observations about that? 
Well, you know, I think, you know, I, I always am surprised at how many biblical references I'll use in songwriting. And I think some of that is um, from growing up, going to church. And, and David has a, a very serious religious backbone to, to what he talks about. It's very moral, you know, what he tends to sing about. But I also think that religious um, references, let's put it that way, in in songs, it could go back to Shakespeare. I mean, you know, it goes back to literature in general, and it definitely goes back to this sort of Southern Gothic frame of of prose with Faulkner and Eudora Welty and uh, you know, just the, uh, there's there's almost no one that that doesn't you know doesn't go back and have these strong biblical tones to them. Partly because the King James Bible, for its faults uh, in terms of accuracy or whatever you want to say about Bibles, is a kind of a beautiful period of of English. And uh, so you that that's one of the reasons I think this things like you know Shakespeare have lived and been as popular as they are is they're just it's just kind of beautiful English that's being used here, um, and so so some of it is is the it's not just the imagery it's the sound of the words. That's Don Dixon, best known for his work producing artists like REM the Smithereens, and James McMurtry, in addition to his own music. He worked with David as producer on his album Room 23 from 2011 and his latest, Run Skeleton Run. Leading up to his Serpents of Reformation album, David had been listening to a lot of R.L. Burnside's later material, the albums produced by Tom Rothrock, which garnered legions of new fans for both Burnside and blues music in general, and was inspired to bridge his own rock, country, and folk style with beats and electronics, and, like Burnside, put a modern twist on a traditional form. It's bad, you know. She asked me why. I just went on tour. She asked me why. I just went on tour.
It's no surprise that David would want to make a record like Serpents of Reformation, considering his musical upbringing. But also, we had a lady that would come in. She was the housekeeper, black lady, did the ironing, cooked the food. Um, and uh, I was just a little kid, and I hung out with her a lot. She'd be ironing. She'd always had a radio on WDIGIV, which was just playing all this great music at that time, R&B music. So that was just pumping into me. Then there were older kids around. They had their music. I mean, there was one family. I spent a lot of time in their house, and uh, I remember they had a little 45, and the boys would bring in a new record. You know, I remember yeah. hearing a Rabble Rouser by Dwayne Eddy oh, yeah. the first time on their and you know, so it, it was just all over. My mom loved music. She could sing well. She grew, her daddy, my granddad was a, uh, a radio announcer back in the old days that would go out with country bands and, you know, introduce them and do the show with them and all. And she did that too when she was a teenager. And uh, she was a really good looking uh, woman, kind of wild. And uh, I know my dad told me later she would, go sing with the band at these clubs around town. But, you know, we'd go out to eat and, you know, we'd be at a steakhouse. Here comes Tommy Thayle, Ralph Smith, and somebody, you know, another guy on the show, they sitting at the bar yeah. drinking. Then I go home and watch them on TV. So I immediately got an idea like, this is a real thing, you know, these people are real people. You know, maybe I could do this one day because that is where my mind set was at, but I was always soaking up music. Then I had a big brother who went down to college at South Carolina, and uh, it was all over from that point on because he was turning me on to like Bob Dylan, the Velvet Underground. Here she comes. You better watch your step. She's gone. You know, the South, um, like North Carolina specifically, is such a great melting pot when it comes to music. And African Americans and whites trading songs back hundreds of years ago, it started them trading songs back and forth. And so when you listen to the Piedmont blues from this region, like, unlike the Delta, the Delta is very uh, repetitive blues. It's It's got a very, it's almost like... Um, it gets very monotonous to me. But what was great about all these Piedmont blues guys, they would do working man songs to kid children's songs. They would just be, they had a, a full palette of songs that they had traded, that they had learned from whites, and then whites would learn songs, blues type songs from them. And it just, it just um, I don't know, it's always struck me that uh, one thing that we've always connected on blacks and whites in North Carolina's music has always brought us together. Uh, we maybe haven't wanted to, uh, you know, the banjo is an African instrument. Um, 
But anyway, I don't mean to get you off know, subject. You know, you talk about music bringing races together. Uh, I wrote a, a story about this uh, years ago. Barry Hanna also wrote about his experience with this same movie, the Rock and Roll Tammy Show, came through in 1965, spring of 65. It was a shot out in California with the Rolling Stones, Chuck Berry, James Brown, uh, Marvin Gaye, all these great performers of that era. And then they shipped it all over the country. Well, it came to Mount Holly. It just happened to be the weekend that the movie theater was integrated. First time blacks and whites were ever in a theater together watching this rock and roll movie. And it was no trouble. It was a it was a celebration. I'm telling you. Yeah. It was, it, and I it, it always amazed me how things went bad, you know, how active the Klan got and there were race riots and and all this stuff, because that moment where we all came together and raised hell and enjoyed this movie with this music told me, you know, like, this is, might be a good thing, you know, and, uh, but, uh, that connection, yeah, it's, it's, it's very important in our culture and, uh, I don't see it going anywhere. I see, I see it more and more and more. Sitting in the witness stand The judge's wife called up the district attorney She said, free that brown-eyed man If you want your job, you better free that brown-eyed man Flying across the desert in a TWA I saw a woman walk across the sand She'd been walking 30 miles en route to Bombay To meet a brown-eyed handsome But I gotta say, the South, I'm glad I'm a Southerner And I think yeah. our culture... You know, get rid of all the racism and the Robert Lee Lee statues and uh, stars and bars and clan hoods. Throw all that out. And, you know, I I think it's probably the best hope we got, you know, for this country to, to for people to work together and succeed together. Can you tell us about some of the folks that you worked with? You have Bob Crawford on your record once again. And you've worked with a ton of artists over the years in, in different styles. You know, Eric Lovell playing sitar on your record from, what was that, 98, 99, going way back when. Yeah. Um, Do you have any favorites? Do you have any memories of folks that you've worked with or people that you might like to work with? You want me to answer it? Sure. Yeah, there's been a lot of them. I mean, I've, I've been through a, a lot of... Um, a lot of music. Of course, the most important one to me right now is my son, Robert Childers, who plays drums with me. Uh, he's not out with me so much right now because he's raising his daughter, but my granddaughter. So I'm all for that. But uh, I got to say, Corey Dudley is, is a remarkable, uh, remarkable talent. The guys I'm playing with now, I, um, those are the ones I, I really appreciate the most. David's son Robert is a big part of all this and has been all his life. He's not only the drummer but also David's main collaborator and has played in other settings as far-ranging as punk rock to rockabilly to brute beat, an Afrobeat band with bassist Corey Dudley. One of my earliest memories is playing drums on, you know, pots or whatever I could find with my dad when he'd be playing songs, and it just kind of happened. So we've just done it my whole life, and, you know, he was doing it before I was born, so it just kind of fell into place. 
it becomes like a very uh, natural, almost like a traditional family thing when you do it for as long as, you know, I've done it with him. So it's just something that we've always done. I got to learn about David's influences musically as he was coming along. How about your musical influences? What do you bring to the table, and and how does that figure in with what we're hearing on Run, Skelton, Run, for example? Well, I don't know. I mean, um, I'm into a lot of different kind of music. Like, when I think of my dad's music, I try to, like, bring in elements of half Atkins and punk rock and, you know, stuff that he's into, too. X, uh, even, like, Bad Brains and stuff like that sometimes. But, you know, we also listen to a lot of traditional music, like Living Brothers and um, Bluegrass, you know, Ralph Stanley, stuff like that, Hank Williams, uh, Webb Pierce, Johnny Horton. We love all that kind of stuff, so... And to me, like Chuck Berry, Jerry Lewis, all that's punk rock, too. So we just try to, like, make really primal rock and roll that feels very real and Southern. It's kind of what we go for. That's the kind of stuff we like, you know, poets who are, like, roughnecks and weirdos, Southern Gothic stuff. It is often a surprise to learn just how gregarious music artists can be. I remember talking to a bluegrass band backstage at Merlefest once, and their bass player told me that he didn't really listen to bluegrass. He liked hip-hop much better. When you listen to what a band plays, don't assume that their style of music is what they like best. When they say that wildly disparate forms inspired them to play or write, you should take that at face value. Just as Brian McMurray mentioned how Bad Brains informed his playing in our episode on Acoustic Syndicate, Robert is saying the same here. You may not hear Bad Brains or Johnny Horton or X in David Childers' work, at least not at first or maybe not ever, but it's there, in that at the very least, the music wouldn't be the same without it. Hey y'all, it's a Johnny Horton song. Sixteen great. 
That's David Childers and the Serpents playing a live version of Belmont Ford in Charlotte at a venue called The Evening Muse. It's a song from the record run Skeleton Run, which might not have sounded nearly the same without the influence of Avid Brothers bassist and longtime friend and collaborator Bob Crawford. Bob suggested that David work with producer Don Dixon again. Bob has played a big part in David's story, even when he wasn't in the studio with him. David calls you Saint Bob because you encouraged him to get back into the music you know, while he was still practicing law. So I guess this is around 2006. Burning Hell? What was that? What was the album he put out around then? I think it might have been with the Modern Don Juans, David Childers yeah. and Modern Don Juans, Burning in Hell. Yeah, yeah. Then I, I heard that he retired, that he was going to retire. He wasn't going to do music anymore, is what, is what I heard. And I called him, and I asked him what the heck was going on. I, I just, you know... I just couldn't imagine a world where he wasn't writing songs. It, it wasn't a world I wanted to live in. And so I, I asked him if, um, I said, well, David, if you want to write, you can send me, you know, some stuff and maybe we can work on some songs together and just kind of do it for fun. We had this kindred uh, love for history, like you know, something that, that took our friendship and carried it along be, besides just two guys in Charlotte, North Carolina music scene was that we both shared a great, healthy curiosity for American history and, and even beyond that. Bob, you mentioned the world that David inhabits, and the more I dig into his history and, and learn about him, it seems that that's a very strongly mythological place, and he seems to be more and more of a kind of a prophetical bard type of figure to me. Yes. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, that that's that's the thing. He's a Renaissance man. You know, he has deep wealth of literary and cinematic and historical knowledge. He can inhabit characters, right? It's like I put it like this: like Scott and Seth, they'll write an achingly beautiful song that they lived. They'll take a personal experience. And they'll almost like dictating a diary entry. David can take the subject of a newspaper article and do the same thing. And that, that's, that's special. I mean, obviously what Scott and Seth do are, is special as well. But that, that's interesting, right? So he can, he can get inside of another character. He can put himself, there's this empathy, there's this uh, really, like you said, a really prophetic voice. And he's, uh, he, he can get inside. He can get inside Thomas Jefferson. He can get inside a Southern preacher from the early 20th century. He can, you know, he can, he can go, he can read about somebody or learn about somebody and he can color, you know, words on a page are black and white. He can add color to it. He can, he can add depth to it. One of the neat things about doing Southern songs and stories is having moments of serendipity that add to the episode. I had one of those moments leading up to this. The Purple Onion Cafe in Saluda, North Carolina, offered up tickets to David's show there recently for me to give away. 
as an incentive for people to spread the word about this episode, and writer, musician, and WNCW old-time music host Carol Rifkin won. We got to catch up about her experiences seeing David play, which go back decades, and she had some good insights to share about his music. He's our James McMurtry or our Townsend Zen or our John Prine here, and his songs reflect this region. And I think that's pretty cool. I love hearing about names of towns that are from here. Or, But you know what I'm talking about when you listen to something and you hear the name of a road and you say, I've been on that road. <laughs> he just has a way of taking words and encapsulating them into simplicity. And I equate that mix of complexity and simplicity a lot of times, I don't know why, with the South, with the phrasing and timing. But also with he has that same kind of driving simplicity as Dan McMurtry, the cadence, who's from Texas or Towns Van Zandt. I asked Don Dixon about who he would compare David to as well. He definitely is, is cut from, I mean, he's even cut from the cloth of a guy like Tom T. Hall, which I think is, 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 was a hugely underrated writer, uh, but in, in terms of hipsters, you know. <laughs> But has he's he's got a just a real clear, articulate vision that isn't based on being obscure, and and and, and again melodically he's not trying to you know he's not trying to be tricky or the songs sound like they've been around for a while you know. That's Collar and Bell, also from Run Skeleton Run, which originated as a story that one of David's friends in Ohio sent to him. Like any good storyteller, David brings in a lot of ideas from other people, and he has talked about this need for collaboration in his music. He brings in a lot of ideas from literature as well, and he is a published author, having written American Dusk in 1977 and the long poem The Monster in the early 90s. I asked him to read one of his poems for us here. A dream. The day brings flowers and love letters. The night brings deep kisses. The moon rides a smoky pony across the midnight hour, sinking away like consciousness, falling westward. I dream of all the souls gone ahead, over the old footbridge, under the river and into the stars, crossing from here to there, I stand above the current 
and say goodbye. I will join you in time, but not today. Even with no kisses, no endearments, even with colorless rain drowning the night, squeezing out my sorrow and regret into a bitter glass, I want to stay. David doesn't write much poetry anymore, but luckily for all of us, he is still making music. One thing that he has picked up on in recent years is painting. Inspired by his son Robert's painting and Van Gogh, Run Skeleton Run features both David's and Robert's painting, and the money he makes from his visual art is one of the main reasons why he can afford to be an independent artist. It's never easy being an artist, though. That's probably not going to surprise you. There were times when all of the critical acclaim for his music just didn't equate with monetary reward. Uh, I'm pretty hard on myself, but... No, you know, and I look back, um, it was great to play shows with the Gourds. Uh, we got to do a lot of those. Um, that was uh, with the Modern Don Ones. And um, that's that was a, a, a very eye-opening uh, expansive experience. I, I quit for a while after that. So Bob Crawford um, is St. Bob Crawford to me. Unfortunately, I've never got to play very much with him, but we've gone into studios and always a pleasure to work with him. He uh, not only inspires me, he brings things out of me a lot like Dolph does. Yeah, Bob's been a good, um, good, uh, I don't know if it's sort of a, um, a cheerleader or coach for David as far as, uh, you know, just telling him to get back up off the canvas and That's right. get out there and do it. And, That's uh, exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had just, you know, totally given up, and all of a sudden Bob's sending me emails and taking my lyrics and making songs and getting them recorded with, like he'd hire people to come in, and I'm like, how can I not get off my ass and get busy again? Yeah. Yeah, but I was very busy with my law practice at that time, too, but we made it work out. It's been great also to see David work with, um, like, the two albums he did with Don Dixon. Don, I think, was a great um, great team member for uh, David in a lot of ways and, and recognized David's talent. And, uh, you know, the, the Run Skeleton Run was recorded there. at You mentioned the Fidelitorium. You know, that's Mitch Easter's studio. So, you know, growing up, Don and Mitch, to me, were – you know, they they set the bar really high here in uh, North Carolina for, you know, their work with R.E.M. And to see David work with them was really great. Well, Don, yeah, we did uh, Room 23. Uh, Wayne Jarnigan and uh, Mark Lynch, you know, made that happen. Then Dolph came in and helped out as far as, you know, advising, listening to it, getting a plan. We actually finally put that record out. We couldn't get any labels, you know, interested in it. And it's such a great record. Well, it's a, a record that's really, yeah, it did well. I mean, it was number one in uh, Euro Americana for a while, whatever that means. Never could get any radio play in, in the States for some reason, but. Love I gained, I got from you 
Gave up pain but suffered anyway Turns out that's the price that I had to pay Two flights up and eight blocks down Once in sorrow I did drown I walked the broken streets and I lost my way Turns out that's the price that I had to pay David deserves a, a a platform for his art that is in arenas where people can sit and listen. You know, where it's quiet, people can focus on his words, and and where people can be pulled into his world. Right, that's what David deserves. And so, when I look at the singer and songwriters that have that, I would put him in their category. And I believe that of other North Carolina acts. Like, I, I think Kenny Roby's great. But, you know, David is a special guy. There's a, something singular and special about him that, for the life of me, I don't understand why he doesn't flourish more. For now, at least, David Childers and the Serpents are playing shows at smaller and livelier establishments than big theaters, and that's not such a bad thing. Like a lot of artists, David's rewards for making art are more personal than pecuniary. Success in art often becomes more about the ride than the destination, more about the experience itself and the satisfaction of doing what you love. So David's got a booking agency now that's working with him, and uh, so we're just keep we're you know just uh, keeping blinders on and just don't worry about the horse being blind. Just load the wagon. Just keep pushing. That's right. You, you don't have any choice. Yeah. I'm out in the middle of the ocean. I gotta keep rolling. <laughs> we can think up some more metaphors. Oh, yeah. You're good with that. <laughs> That's our show. Thanks for being here. Thanks to our sponsors, Dynamite Roasting and Ramsor Records. I encourage you to put some David Childers records in your collection or some of his art on your wall. Also, please spread the word about this podcast and consider helping us by subscribing and commenting on our show and by becoming a patron. You can find out more at southernsongsandstories.com and at patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories. And you can keep up with us on our Facebook page, on Twitter, at South Scenes, and Instagram, at South Stories. Stay tuned for future episodes here on Southern Songs and Stories, where we're showcasing the music of the South and the artists who make it.
there's no acting going on with David. He is as authentic as he can be. You know that the he's deceivingly uh, sophisticated. 